You ever been someplace that really scares you? Think about it for just a minute. Not scared you like you thought a monster was going to jump out, necessarily, but a place that just sort of makes you uneasy. When I was a kid, we got a new library in the small town where I lived. It was on the second floor of this nice little office building that had a lawn and these climbable sculptures out front. My mom and my younger brother and I would bike over when the weather was nice. It was great. And when we went inside, we'd have this race. My mom and my brother would take the elevator, and I'd run up the stairs. So I would go into the stairwell, and those stairs were something else, man. Unlike the carpeted lobby, they were unfinished concrete. Every single sound echoed off the hard surfaces. The light was harsh fluorescent, and the best part was that wind would somehow get funneled inside, and so there was always this moaning sound, even on clear, sunny days. It was spooky, even though it should have just been completely benign. On today's show, we've got a guest who can explain where that feeling comes from. Leonard Pickle is the owner of Entrepreneurs, a company that designs and builds haunted houses and other scary attractions. He's a trained architect, and he explains to me and associate editor Lara Sorokanich how you can turn the normal rules of architecture on their heads to really creep people out. Of course, disgusting props and good actors help too, because let's face it, when a monster jumps out, it is scary. Anyway, the kind of stuff Leonard does is a lot of work, but it's worth it. It's worth the trouble because for whatever reason, we like being scared. In fact, looking back, that library was my favorite building in town. Happy Halloween. I'm Kevin Dubsick, and this is How Your World Works. For the October issue of Popular Mechanics, Larry, you actually wrote an article about how to make your house as scary as possible. Yeah, the DIY haunted house kind of deal. Um, you know, how to sort of cheaply but easily and really effectively make your garage into a scary place for trick-or-treaters. Yeah, and you actually talked to so our, our guest today, this architect, his name is Leonard Pickle of Entrepreneurs.com. You actually talked to him when you wrote that story, right? Yes, I did. Um, so... I was hoping you could give me some background on like what is scary, like what makes something scary. Because I've also heard you just around the office talking about being frightened. Yeah. Well, Not of the office, but. <laughs> frightened of the office. Um, yeah. So for this story, I talked to Leonard and a couple other people involved in haunted attractions. Um, I mean, there are some basic things that are always scary. Someone jumping out at you is always going to be scary <laughs> like especially in haunted houses where you know that someone is probably gonna jump out at you that's even scarier for most people because yeah. you're like i know it's coming like i know they're gonna come get me and it like puts your adrenaline up higher and like it, it just really like messes with you knowing that someone's probably gonna jump out at you um obviously disturbing stuff is always gonna creep people out blood gore guts um anything that you know, you would generally not like to see in real life. Um, yeah. That's pretty scary for people. And then there are like niche fears that... Uh, niche fears? Niche fears. Well, you know, like some people think clowns are fine and some people think oh, clowns are horrible. I kind of think like clowns are horrible. scary. I had one other question before we call him up. You were talking about how like somebody jumping out at you is always scary. Like yeah. even if you're in a haunted attraction right. and you're expecting it. Do you think it's scarier if you're if you know somebody's going to be jumping out at you? Or is it scarier if you're like someplace random and have no idea it's coming? I think it's a different experience. I think if you're trying to make a haunted house, it is part of the whole experience of being afraid the whole time that you think mm -hmm. that something might jump out, jump out at you at any time. Whereas if I'm walking down the hallway of our popular mechanics office and somebody jumps out at me, that's scary in the moment. And I'm going to feel that rush for a couple of minutes afterwards, yeah. but it's, it's not quite the same experience of that 
adrenaline pumping feeling you get when you know that something is gonna like come get you. Yeah. One of my best childhood memories, uh, my childhood house growing up had a long hallway that like dead ended into a into a hallway in like a T intersection with uh-huh. like bedrooms at either end. Yeah. And one day just like in the middle of the day on like summer when we were home from school or something, uh-huh. I was walking down the hallway and I could hear that my brother was on the T approaching me. He'd just been like folding laundry for my mom or something. Mm-hmm. And just because the timing seemed right, when I saw him coming, I jumped out to frighten him and he spit up on himself and on these like fresh towels. <laughs> It was just totally like, oh it was like the least scary possible situation. And for some reason, I just like caught him at the right time. That's terrible. I had three brothers growing up and they were very like nice to me considering I was the only girl and how these, you know, typical all boys families go. But they did have a penchant for jumping out and trying to scare me when we were kids. And every time it was like fear for like a second and then it was rage and they would have to <laughs> run away from me because i'd be like i'm gonna kill you like you're the worst yeah you just feel angry and angry sister is the most terrifying thing there is yeah <laughs> um all right let's give leonard a call all right this is leonard can i help you Hi, Leonard. This is Kevin from Popular Mechanics. Got Lara here, too. Hi, Leonard. Leonard, thanks for joining the podcast. And uh, because being a, a designer of haunted attractions is pretty unique, I was, uh, I was sort of hoping you could start out by just sort of explaining your background. How did you get into this in the first place? Wow, that's a long story. I, I was uh, going to college uh, to become a famous architect, and the dorms were doing a... Um, a trick-or-treat where the guys would go over to the girls' dorms for an hour and trick-or-treat, and then the girls would come to the guys' dorms and trick-or-treat. And so we kind of set up our rooms so that when the girls came and trick-or-treated at ours, we could, we could scare them. And I, came, I went as a vampire, and my roommate went as, as Groucho Marx, and I laid out on this coffee table with a bowl of candy that we had just collected from the girls. And the idea was that uh, we were going to make the girls reach over me to get the candy from Groucho Marks, and then I was going to grab them and scare them. And of course, what we didn't realize is that the girls were, were all headed over to the uh, to the senior dorms and to the jock dorms, and they were, <laughs> weren't coming to the freshman dorms immediately. So it took a while, but we finally heard some some girls coming down the hallway, trick or treating, knocking on doors, and and I can remember seeing three heads kind of look around the corner. The first girl, fourth girl, just walked straight in. She screamed. The other girls screamed, and they all ran down the hallway, and we never saw them again. Aww. So. <laughs> So we thought, wow, if they're that easy to scare, we got to do a haunted house. So I talked the dorm into putting up $300 worth of uh, budget to open a haunted house the following October. And we were open for two nights. We were charging 50 cents a head, and we made $2,000 off of that dollars oh, wow. investment. So at the time, I was studying to be an architect, but I thought, you know, this might be something that'd be fun to do for profit someday. And when I graduated from, from with an architectural degree, I started, uh, I volunteered with the March of Dimes. I chaired their event for four years before I started doing my own. And, you know, from a business standpoint, you know, my the, my schooling was in architecture and not in business, unfortunately, because after <laughs> I opened my first haunted house, which I did on, you know, credit cards and pocket change, the um, I when all was said and done, I was about $20,000 in debt, which I thought was a huge disaster, not realizing that a haunted house is a business just like any other, and it's a three- to five-year payout. So I... Uh, uh, but I had so many people coming to me wanting me to design haunted houses for them that I've turned that into a business, and that's what I've been doing for, you know, 40 years now. I think you're the first person to talk about uh, trying out a new career and knowing you were good at it when 
people ran away screaming and you never saw them again. Yeah. <laughs> Haunting is kind of like a disease. Um, you know, once you catch it, once you catch it, you've got it, and it's terminal. There is no, there are no, there are no cures. And a lot of people start off doing something, you know, just in their at their house. You know, they'll decorate the yard, and people come by and congratulate them. So, you know, then that gets more elaborate. It moves into the garage. Sometimes it takes over the backyard, and eventually they were so popular that people, you know, either their spouse or their neighborhood or the police department just say, you know, you can't do this here anymore. It's it's too popular. And then they have the choice of either not doing it again or going pro. You know, so the haunted, the, the home haunter level is kind of our, our our minor leagues for the haunted house industry because a lot of those people eventually get to the point where where they go pro. And, of course, then it's a completely different thing. You have to worry about capacity. You have to worry about, you know, dealing with the general public. Uh, you have to, you know, worry about codes and that kind of stuff. So it, it becomes a completely different animal. We really niched ourselves into helping people getting started. So I had one of those houses on my street growing up. It was like, uh, you know, it'd be in my local paper every year what they decided to do. And it was really different every year. Um, I can remember one year there was kind of the thing where the guy was sitting holding the bowl of candy, but he had a ton of makeup on, so it looked like it was just like a dummy. And then he would right. grab you and reach for it. Then one year right. they kind of had the candy like on a, like on a table or something next to their front door, and they had like, black garbage bags in the door and every time somebody would get close he'd like run out with an axe like it was it was like the experience different every time i always wondered like was there just like one day when him and his wife sat down like a pleasant september (laughs) and thought like what are we gonna do this year where do you start like when when uh when you're working to design something new for somebody what's the starting point well i'll guarantee you for the person that you're talking about uh he started thinking about what to do next year on november 1st he, while he's doing it, while he's scaring the kids, he's already his mind is already churning and thinking, you know, how we can, how can we plus this, you know, how can we, how can we take this to the next level, um, you know. In my case, uh, because I'm kind of a hired gun, the two hardest things to find are location and funding. So, Leonard, what is the ideal place to set up a haunted house? You're looking for that building that already kind of has the reputation of kind of being haunted or being a scary place anyway oh. you know some kind of an asylum or hospital that's closed some kind of a building it's the building that, that, that the kids are breaking into to scare each other anyway yeah the other thing is that for me many years there was a there was kind of an urban legend of this multi-story haunted house that if you made it out you got your money back those kind of things so mm-hmm. so those you know a, a multi-story building on a freeway with a giant sign on it that says haunted house you know people driving by and say oh there it is i've been hearing about it for decades and so that tends to work very well as well huh. so so step one might be create an urban legend <laughs> yeah absolutely well and that's one of the first things i tell people if you're if you're ever thinking about doing a haunted house start with the website start with the social media because that takes time to build and you can kind of tell your story and and you know get some support before you ever drive a nail so you guys actually will design like temporary walls to put in place and things like that to sort of carve that space into something that, that can be made frightening. Yes, that way I can have an actor behind every wall or I can have, you know, some kind of something coming through the wall, even if it's really the outside wall of a building. So it's, it's the ability to create something from scratch is it's much easier from a design standpoint and it's much more effective because you can, rather than trying to force um, your design into the space, you have the ability to let the, let the design create the space. That's, that's one of the kind of the fallacies that is going on in the haunted house industry right now. A lot of people, and I go through haunted one of the things I do in October is 
is travel the countryside and see as many haunted houses as I can so I can keep my finger on the pulse of what people are doing. Hmm. And I'll go to a haunted house and I'll walk into this, you know, this absolutely incredible room. It's decorated to the hilt. You know, it's got the actors are standing there. They're in great costume. But no one ever really kind of thought of what the scare was going to be. It looks cool. It's very spooky. You know, it looks amazing. But they really never thought of, you know, what is the actor going to do to scare people? Mm-hmm. You know, and it takes, you know, if you just stand an actor in a great costume in a room and tell them to scare people when they come in, that's that's a that's a high bar to, to, to match. But, you know, because my, architect, my, my training is architectural, you know, form ever follows function. And what's the function? The function is how, what are we going to do to scare people? So I come up with the scare first, then decorate the room to support or facilitate the scare, and then, only then, do we draw walls around the outside of that and place it, you know, in the design. So it's much easier to, to do something in a wide-open building, and we can build a facade that looks like an old Victorian house if you want to, um, or something else. But it's uh, but designing from the inside out and figuring out what that scare is first is paramount. Yeah, in terms of architecture, is there, are there certain things that scare people? Like in terms of like your actual training as an architect, does that ever inform how you design these spaces? Um, actually, it does. In, in architecture school, they teach you how to how to make the room feel comfortable to make people want to stay. Um, you know, and I just take all of those rules and, and flip them on their heads to make people want to get out. Huh. So it, it, you know, a, a tall, thin hallway, you know, it's a really tall, skinny hallway. Um, it feels uncomfortable to people. A, a low, wide, you know, room would, would be, makes people feel uncomfortable. You know, the other thing that I did, you know, almost by accident was right when I was graduating from college, there the big thing on, you know, the big architectural, you know, trend was what they called field theory. Um, the concept was, was that you would you would make this pattern out of rotated squares and lay that underneath your drafting paper, back in the days when you used drafting paper, <laughs> and design, design, the attra- you design the building, whatever it was, whether it was an apartment complex or a, a uh, museum or whatever it was, you would design that on top of this grid to give it some interest so it's not just a square building. That combined with the concept of triangles are always stronger than a square. And so I came up with what is called what I call the triangular grid system. Um, that is, that utilizes a triangular grid rather than a square grid when you lay out the walls for your haunted house. And it's a very strong system, but it also means that none of your, none of your rooms will be square, um, which mm. is fine for, for you know, it, it, and people will say, oh, I would never use that because, you know, rooms in a house are square. You know, 99.9% of the people that go through the haunted house will never realize that that the, that room wasn't square. And one of the things that's interesting about that is that because you, you're going through that and you never really make a 90-degree turn, um, you know, one of the things I always say is I, I want to have my exit to the haunted house right next to the entrance so that the people that are waiting to go in can kind of watch the people coming out to see, you know, whether it was a good attraction or not. And so, and I've had people walk out the haunted house right next to where they went in, and they say, that was great, where's my car? Because they they have no idea where they're at, because they really never took a 90-degree turn, and they have no, they, we've totally screwed up their, their perception of, of where they're at. That's, I have to go back to what you're saying about the tall, skinny hallway, because I think, like, one of the, I think the most uncomfortable I've ever felt in a space, it was definitely, I was definitely scared, and it was actually at a museum, that had an installation, like an exhibition in the basement by some artist that I, I hope I never run into, ever. <laughs> it was the creepiest stuff. But there was one, he did a lot of like, he had a lot of 
can't like surveillance cameras mounted and then he'd put the display for the camera in some other place and there was a tall skinny hallway that had a, 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 a tv screen at the end of it so when you were at the when you were at the entrance to the hallway you could just see there's a tv screen but you weren't quite sure what was on it because it was just far enough away and too small to really tell you'd walk down this hallway that was little more than shoulder width and it was it was just a really uncomfortable feeling. And then when you got to the end and you saw the TV, there was a camera mounted on the ceiling, like above the entrance to the hallway. So now you were looking at your back, like somebody was watching you. And it was, right. it was like, I, I, like I left the basement after going through this hallway. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly the concept. You know, claustrophobia is one of, is, is one of the big fears. It's kind of weird. When, when I first started doing haunted houses, I thought, you know, I should, I should look up what all the phobias are. So I know, so I know what all the phobias are so that, that I can, you know, put all of those kind of things in my haunted house, make sure we get everybody in. Mm-hmm. Man, people are afraid of everything. They're afraid of purple. You know, they're <laughs> afraid. I, it, there isn't anything that, that is in the world that, that somebody's not afraid of and there's not a phobia for. But clowns, claustrophobia, uh, you know, bugs and spiders and that kind of stuff, those, those are some of the darkness. You know, those are some of the big ones. Yeah, well, when you said, you know, you try and keep your finger on the pulse, uh, what is what is the pulse right now? Like, what are the things that people are doing that you think is is really cutting edge and exciting? What's trendy and scaring people? It's funny because really the you know the chainsaw has been king forever. <laughs> you know, you take the chain off the chainsaw, it's noisy, it's loud, it smells, it vibrates. You know, that's that's kind of been the the, the big scare for for as long as I've been doing haunted houses. It tend, it seems to be kind of losing its impact nowadays. I think it's it seems because everyone does it. I think it, it seems to to just kind of lost its impact and it's not as as effective as it used to be. Um, so that's kind of waning. Um, the the new kind of um, aspect that, that people are putting into their shows are is called a, uh, is called contact. In other words, they're you know they're allowing the actors to touch the the patrons going through. Oh, yeah. And that is something, it's interesting because a lot of the people that have been doing haunted houses for a long time have kind of, are kind of railing against it. But 40 years ago when I started doing haunted houses, you know, touching people was very common. I mean, we really had just graduated from, you know, peeled eyeballs, or peeled grapes for eyeballs and spaghetti <laughs> for brains. We'd really just graduated from that level. And now a lot of the haunted, the, the younger kids that are getting into haunted house design are doing things like, you know, they're kind of a quest deal where you go to this room and you have to find a key and it's in a toilet that you have to dig through something gross to get to, hmm. you know, that, and that, that's the cutting edge. That's the new stuff. Well, that really, other than the production value is much better, it really is just peeled grapes for eyeballs with spaghetti for brains. So, so it's something that, that, that we've already kind of done. And, and when I first started doing haunted houses, you know, touching people in haunted houses or the actors grabbing people was very common. Mm-hmm. And we pushed away from that, and now we're kind of circling back around to it. So then, but the biggest problem that the haunts are having is the actors are allowed to touch people, but they're not sure why. You know, you have to give, it doesn't make sense for me to walk down a hallway and some actor to play with my hair or, you know, touch me on the shoulder or something. <laughs> There needs to be a reason. I mean, you have to build into the storyline. Form follows function. Why is that guy touching me? And unless he has a reason to touch me or a reason for me to be afraid that he's going to touch me, it's just not effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you give an example of uh, like a scare that you've thought of and then how you've designed the, the form that uh, brings it to life? One year we were, we were building a haunted house. This was many, many years ago. We were building this haunted house, and there was one room that we had this elaborate design concept for, but we really didn't, weren't sure how we were going to be able to pull it off. 
So the rest of the house was coming up great, but there was this one room that just didn't have anything in it. We had to come up with something. And we were getting close to opening, so I was trying to come up with an idea. And I just happened to be watching TV at, at night one time, and, and there was a commercial. This guy walks into this darkened kitchen. He flings open the refrigerator, which now floods the room with light and, and kind of blinds him because he's, was, his eyes are dilated from the darkness. You know, when he reaches in to grab something out of the refrigerator, and I thought, what a great scare for somebody to reach over the top of the refrigerator and, you know, and scare that guy. <laughs> so so I ran back to the haunted house the next day. I, I stole the refrigerator that was in the actor break room <laughs> and put it put it in this room, built a box, you know, and painted it to look like a cabinet. It wasn't even a three-dimensional cabinet beside it to make it look like it was, you know, part of the kitchen. And then I we, we kind of blocked the door open a little bit so that there was light pouring out of the refrigerator. And then I put a moving light inside the refrigerator to make it look like there was somebody in the refrigerator. We even, we even went and um, got an old pizza that nobody had eaten from the couple of days before. Huh. And put that in there, and we had found a rat skeleton in the building when we first got there. So we put that on it, and we shellacked it down so it would, <laughs> so it would walk off. Oh, man. So we put this rat skeleton on the pizza, put it in the refrigerator, and then I cut a hole in the wall beside the refrigerator so an actor could watch and and step out, you know, seemingly from nowhere when somebody opened the refrigerator door. Huh. And, uh, and I thought, okay, that's good enough. And and, and we went on to other things and, and opened up. And I kept getting this call that there was a wall loose. There was a, there was a wall problem. And I so I run into the haunt with, uh, you know, screw guns. And at that time it was nails and hammers probably. But I run in there to see what's going on, and then the wall that was behind, that was opposite the refrigerator was just blown out at the bottom. So I fixed it, I braced it up again, and then came back out, and somebody says, that wall's blown out again, so I'll go run it in there. And so now I start watching, <laughs> and it it that was scaring the hell out of people. What People would walk into the room, and the, the tough guy would walk up and grab the refrigerator door, and he'd fling it open and act like he was going to scare an actor that he thought was in the in the refrigerator. Instead, he sees this gross pizza and reaches down to touch it. The actor would come over the top of that, and they were just barreling, just blowing out the wall behind him. Oh uh, ended up being the best, the best room design we had in the in that year. So, in a case like that, I mean, so you're counting on people coming over, and with this refrigerator doors cracked open, that their curiosity is going to force them to pull it open, right? Correct. Are there what are the things you kind of learned about how people behave when they're when they're like sort of on edge? Because I don't know. I don't know if it would occur to me that I could be totally confident that everybody that goes through that room is going to open that door. From designing haunted houses for as long as I have, you kind of get a feel for what people are willing to do. And, there, and, you, and you're right. There were people that would just walk through the room and they were so afraid of the refrigerator because they knew that there was an actor in there that was going to come out um, that they wouldn't open the door. You know, and at that point, the actor could come just out of the slot that he was in and still scare the people. So it, it it didn't require people to open the door, but when they did, they were taken they were taken such you know they're they're put off their guard because they're expecting somebody to be in the refrigerator, and then when there's not, they relax, um, and that's when they're, that's when they're the most vulnerable. And if you can get people, if you can put people in a place that they're not sure they're supposed to be, they're they're more vulnerable, or they're or, or if they know they're not supposed to be. One of the things that I do in larger haunted houses is I make the guys go through the ladies' room. Huh. So we we take the pathway through, you know, a a you know an open you know female toilet, multiple stall toilet, 
and how do they know it's, I mean, he says it on the door, says ladies only, or says ladies room or restroom, and, you know, how do they know it's, it's the ladies room because there's no urinals. So immediately they're in a position where there's some place that there's, they know they're not supposed to be. Sometimes I'll take, you know, a, a mop bucket or something and I'll put it in the hallway to block, uh, to block what looks like it should be the pathway for the haunted house, and then I'll leave and then I'll prop open something that looks like a door that takes them into what looks like a backstage space. You know, maybe the the, hmm. the walls look like they're not painted. There's some costuming, wow. you know, or some just some junk. You know, now they're in a place where they're not sure they're supposed to be there. That leaves them, you know, absolutely primed for for a scare because they're not sure that they're supposed to, that they're that it lets their guard down because they think they're in a place that they're not even supposed to be. That's crazy. That makes me scared. Yeah, Lara, you should see her face right now. She already looks scared. (laughs) Um, Leonard, are there different personalities that you see coming through a haunted house? Like you said, there's always a tough guy or, you know, are there are there certain stereotypes of people that you can kind of depend on to either lead the pack or cower in the corner, things like that? Yeah, I mean, every group is different, you know, and it's funny because you can you can literally train people to be frightened. You know, sometimes the first time you jump out and scare some guy, he doesn't, I mean, this happened to me many, many years ago. I, I ran a haunted house in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and there was one time I was in the haunted house acting, uh, and because it was a summer seasonal show, it was a one-man show, so I'm scaring this, the, the, the groups all the way through the attraction. I'm the only actor in this space. And, you know, I jumped out, and I, the, I always put my best scare first and my next to best scare last. So the first scare sets everybody up for the show, and the last scare hopefully makes them remember. So I got my best scare, and this guy walked straight in, and I, he was right where I wanted him to be, and I did my best job of scaring him, and he didn't even blink. And I thought, wow, this is going to be a tough group. <laughs> but, the next, but the next time I jumped out and scared him I, saw him, I saw him turn his head a little bit, and I said, you know, I thought, did he jump? I mean, I hit him with my best scare I have, and he didn't do anything, and now, he's, now he looks like he's jumping. Before, before, he was, before he had made it all the way through that haunted house, he literally was holding his 100-pound girlfriend in front of him like a shield, <laughs> you, know, you know, swinging around and pointing her at anything that could scare him because, because he, I had you know, been able to, to, to get him to jump a few times, and he didn't want to do it again. So it, it's something that... You know, fear is is something that's that that can be taught, uh, and I was able to even do that in the short time that we had. It's funny because we had because we were summer seasonal, we had a lot of people that were bringing that were coming in. They had very small children, you know, and we always tried to talk them out of it. But you know, if if a, if a family brought a baby in uh-huh. that was walking through the haunted house, if I jumped out and scared the people, the baby would look over at me like, "Why'd you do that?" <laughs> but, and, and you know, because he doesn't know what being being afraid is. But right. the first time the mother screamed the baby start crying. Aww. Oh. So it wasn't until, you know, you scared mom that the baby realized, oh, this is something that I'm supposed to be afraid of. Aww. That's really interesting. <laughs> I also saw on your website that you've um, worked in multiple countries. Are there, like, things that Americans tend to get scared by that people in Australia don't or do? You know, it's funny because, I mean, none of the, the, the haunts that we've done outside of the U.S., you know, we can we can pull stuff that we were doing in the '70s out, and it blows people's minds overseas because they're not because they're they're not as tainted as we are, maybe. Um, but and they all tell me, almost all my clients say, well, you know, that's not going to be scary here. You have to do, you know, Jason and Freddie, or you know, and it's just like, no, you don't. You know, you're <laughs> the, 
really scaring people is is very simple. It's very much like telling a joke. You know, it's all in the setup and the, the timing of the punchline. So earlier when you said that scaring is a disease and, and that it's something that once you start, you can't stop, um, I was just wondering why people like scaring other people so much. Why is that fun? What what about it is attractive to people? It's, it's very much a symbiotic relationship. I mean, when you pop out and scare somebody, they get an adrenaline rush. And mm-hmm. it's kind of funny. I mean, it's almost like the cartoons. I mean, you, you they literally lose their knees and they start wiggling. I mean, it, it, they start wavy lining. It. It's, it's hilarious. And, you know, if you do it right and you really scare people, you'll get an adrenaline rush, too. So it, it's huh. a very symbiotic relationship between the person that's scaring people and the people that are being scared. Yeah, I, well, I was going to say, how do you find the actors? It's kind of, a, I mean, the, the best way to do it, especially people that, that have been, and the way people do it that have been open for many years, is you kind of build an acting troupe. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you throughout the year you have, you know, some bigger names in the haunted house industry come out and, and do seminars or do actor training classes. So you, it's kind of a thing where you kind of build a community. You know, you give them a Facebook page that they can talk to each other. Or if, they, you know, if somebody needs a ride, they can, you know, contact and, and find a way to get to, get to work or, you know, get to the haunt. Or, and then you have to do it. It's not something that you just, you know, the end of September you call and say, hey, let's, it's, it's time again, let's do this. It's something that you need to work on year-round, building a, a community of people that, you know, and then you even go to them and, and give them, you know, ask them questions on what, you know, what should we change, what should we do for next year, how can we make this better, to give them some ownership in the attraction. Well, Laird, this has been awesome, and I think, I don't think I can let you go without just asking if you can tell us first about the most scared you've ever been. (laughs) It was about 1974, October. I I went to a haunted house that was in... um, in Dallas, Texas, it was put on by a local radio station, and it was it was it was decades ahead of itself. Um, it's a, it's a style that we would call pitch black now, um, so that you're walking through this haunted house and you literally cannot see your hand in front of your face. Uh. So I'm walking going through with some some friends of mine, um, and you're you're literally feeling your way through the through the hallways, and then suddenly a strobe light would come on, you know, off to one side or the other. And the actors would do something and head towards you, and then the strobe light would go off. So now you're in pitch black. You have no idea where the actors are. You have no idea where you are. Fumbling your way back, you know, through, you know, to the next room. And and the girls that I was with were totally freaked. I mean, they were just, I was laughing, but they were just totally freaked out. And falling on the floor, I'm having to pick them up and move them to the next, you know. And, and then we're, we're walking down this hallway. And I heard someone say, watch out for snakes. Oh, God. So that's our show. How Your World Works is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Jesse Wright Mendoza. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Eddie Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics editor-in-chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes, and while you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. Don't forget to check out our other show, The Most Useful Podcast Ever, and by the way, if you want to read more about Leonard Pickle, check out our website, popularmechanics.com podcasts. While you're there, you should know that you can also subscribe to the print and digital editions of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 for one year. I'm Kevin Dupsick. Thanks for listening.